All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, talking to you from the borough of Queens in New York City. It is the first day of March, 2022. I do like to remind you, I write a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com and like to uh, tout Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? You can go to ChenPicks.com for that. And also, uh, Michael Oliver, who's with us today, it's OliverMSA.com to sign up for his letter. Uh, we want to thank all of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. So I'd like to encourage you to send along whatever comments you have about this show to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Today's sponsors, Novo Resources, Eloro Resources, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Lion One Metals, Firefox Gold, and Timberline Resources. And I should say that today, Eloro Resources put out some fantastic uh, drill intercepts that are driving the stock dramatically higher today. Uh, maybe it was up 17% or something like that on the news, but truly a great story. And... Uh, one that you'll be hearing a lot more from, I'm sure, in the future. Before I talk about today's show, I would like to inform you that I will be participating in the Metals Investor Forum March 10th and 11th at the Georgia Hotel. That's in downtown Vancouver, British Columbia. The companies that I have invited are Klondike Gold, Snowline Gold Corp., Goliath Resources, and, yes, Eloro Resources. Really, really happy to have uh, Eloro joining me as well as the other three companies. I've titled today's show, We Are Not Useful Idiots, David Stockman and Michael Oliver Return. As Dr. Yuri Maltsev noted last week, societies that believe citizens have no sovereign rights, but rather are the property of the state, like those of fascist and communist governments, are kept as ignorant as possible about uh, the folks who are kept as ignorant as possible by the folks who operate behind the curtain. If there is still a bit of freedom left, uh, as there's, there still is a bit of freedom left in America, we can be very thankful for that. Where we do not yet have a complete censorship, uh, certainly we've seen increasing amounts of it. Uh, but one of the things that starts to happen when, you know, the old um, story of Pinocchio, the little lie leads to a bigger lie and a bigger lie and a bigger lie, you have to cover your tracks in order to make sure uh, that people don't really understand what's going on. It becomes more repressive and censorship becomes more and more of a problem. Uh, we can hope and pray that's not the case in this country and in the Western world, but there are signs, I believe, that that's the direction we're headed. 
David Stockman will share research uh, in his recent article titled We Are Not Useful Idiots, um, that there is a great deal of news that is being kept from the American people regarding the Ukraine, as well as other important matters that negate the ability of Americans to make informed decisions uh, when they go to the polls and other and else uh, and otherwise. And as the left continues to suppress free speech, I mean, it could be suppressed, I suppose, by either side of the political spectrum. Uh, but as free speech is suppressed, the whole point of democracy then. Um, well, that is the point of democracy, that we have free speech. If you don't have free speech, uh, how can people remain informed? Um, and that will impact, of course, our freedoms and our material well-being. Ultimately, as Ron Paul has said before, if we're free, we will be prosperous. Well, David will be with me in the second half of today's show, but um, those of our many listeners who are big Michael Oliver fans We'll be li- delighted to know that Michael will be with us a few minutes longer today. He will join me right after uh, our first commercial break. And I can't think of a better time to have Michael with us than right now because it does seem as though markets are at a pivotal point and maybe have already uh, pivoted. Uh, anyway, the markets are very uh, very volatile right now, as, as we all know, and uh, we'll look for Michael's guidance in terms of where he thinks things are headed based on his um, objective work. I think Michael's work is very objective. It is, uh, it, it, it is based on data. Um, and so I, I have, uh, as you know, put a lot of faith in Michael's work. It has served me very well uh, since he's been on the show with us for the last uh, two or three years at least. Uh, the opening lines in the American Declaration of Independence, uh, and I like to I like to to state this very often because I think it's so important. Those opening lines stated, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equally by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, I think that set the, the uh, framework for the American Constitution and the policies that have been employed by, Americans, uh, by America for many, many years. But in other words, what this means is that our rights are given to us, not by Joe Biden or Donald Trump, but by God. Now, to the extent that people no longer believe in God, then they make the head of state God. And that doesn't usually end very well, because the population gives total power to one individual, because they have nowhere else to turn, or so they think. As Jordan Peterson said recently uh, in a discussion he had, uh, he, he said, um, actually this was a discussion he had with Barry Weiss, former writer of the New York Times, he said, if Stalin doesn't have God, then Stalin is God. And so he, like other atheists, dictators like Mao Zedong, Hitler, Pol Pot, were free to kill countless millions of people because they were God and they knew best. So if you are cheering for a dictator in America to make, uh, to, str- to try to find somebody who can really straighten things out, I might suggest that you be careful what you wish for. The policies of most Western nations are starting to look, unfortunately, more and more like those of the dictators we went to war against last century. And along with that, there is a very significant loss, I believe, in Christian faith. I have talked on this show about a very well-known book written in 1997 titled The Fourth Turning. Based on historical patterns in the past, the book posits that every four generations, major turning points take place in a society. In other words, over a period of between 80 and 100 years, major societal 
changes in the, the way people think about things, the way they view their, their values, uh, their economic policies, etc., et changed dramatically. The authors of that book suggested then that the mid-2000s would be about the time for the next major fourth turning. It seems to me that they pretty much had that right because major changes in our country's morals and financial attitudes and so forth really took a major change in 2008 with the financial crisis. As it turns out, that now is America's, I think, America's fourth, fourth turning uh, because you go back four four fourth turnings and you go back to the Revolutionary War. That was the first fourth turning. Then we had the Civil War in 1860 or thereabouts. The Great Depression and the World War II was the third fourth turning. And now uh, I believe that the authors of the fourth turning, that book, uh, pretty much nailed it when they called the mid-2000s as the next fourth turning. Um, So what I would say is that unless you really have a disdain for freedom and liberty and justice for all, the future based on the ideals of our founding fathers doesn't look very bright because the last several generations are increasingly being taught that their God is not a transcendent being, creator of the universe, but rather the state made up of very fallible human beings. But those of us who actually believe in our transcendent creator do have hope, no matter what our very fallible leaders do. Last I looked, our coins and currencies still declare that it's God that we trust in and not the man or woman in the White House. I, for one, believe if we put our faith in our Creator, we will be all right, though we do not need to, uh, though actually we do need to prepare uh, for the trials and tribulations that are put before us. And so I'm um, happy to say that we're right after we come back from commercial break, Michael Oliver will be with us to help us try to, um, to navigate the difficult times ahead in the markets at least. And uh, so we're looking forward to, to hearing from Michael. We're going to go to break now, but when we come back, uh, Michael will be with us, so don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, Funding in place and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Michael Oliver with us today, and he'll have a few more extra minutes than he normally has when he's with me in the first segment. So uh, welcome, Michael, and thanks for for coming back. Always good to be back. Always good to be back, and it's always good to tell people it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com to sign up for Michael's excellent work, and uh, I don't know how I would get how I'd get by in these uh, volatile markets without Michael and his work. So, uh, Michael, I'm just looking, though, it's, uh, for those of us that are long in the precious metals, today is one of those days when, well, maybe all of the events around the world aren't very comforting, but nonetheless, we're seeing gold and silver really start to take off. It seems like silver is, I have this picture of this submerged beach ball that you like to talk about. Markets, when they're suppressed, they come flying out uh, out of the water. Um Talk to us about about silver. Maybe start there because that's just doing extremely well right now. Well, it's been building a, a, a nice momentum base for quite a few quarters now. And um, it, in November, it rallied up to a level that was just actually a penny and a half below our breakout level in terms of the <laughs> weekly close. And it fell back down. Okay. Everybody disappointed. Uh, then it went back up in January. To the same momentum level, not the same price level. It was a dollar lower in price than it was in November, but it, it bumped the same momentum structure and pulled back again, which is great. What it means is our structure is really clear, uh-huh. and you don't see it on a price chart. But we have a structure that goes way back, and uh, on a quarterly momentum, we're through it now. Last week broke out well above it, uh, even though you had a quote. Uh, well, you actually didn't close now. Silver managed it like a half cent up week, but everybody thought, oh, it's a reversal. To the downside. Mm-hmm. So, in the weekend report, we tried to explain archivally that price chart reversals can often be noise. Mm-hmm. You make it a high and you come down and close down on the week, and you think, oh my gosh, it's all over. Well, it could be, but we need to see momentum break something too. In other words, if you see a reversal top or a reversal bottom, you want to see momentum agreeing with that, saying, mm-hmm. yeah, it's time for this thing to reverse. Uh, we didn't have that on momentum. So sure enough, this week, price is right back up to the highs again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and closing there. We closed real good today, uh, up a dollar ten in silver, twenty almost. Oh. Um, so, uh, and, and gold's back up in the mid-1900s. So it's looking good. Um, I like that shakeout Friday because it, it made people think, oh, my gosh, you know, it, it, frankly, it should have shaken out because you've had too many people buying in the Ukraine news. Mm-hmm. And it's my experience, in archivally in real life, that gold is not a war market. Mm-hmm. It's a monetary no. metal. Mm-hmm. And sometimes war will help create inflation. Therefore, you know, it can be good for, for gold in that regard. But mm-hmm. the war event in and of itself is not bullish. Mm-hmm. Um, gold's been moving up since 2015 from half the price it is now that to here, doubled in price, mm-hmm. to all kinds of events and non-events. Mm-hmm. Whereas most of the gold advance we saw, in fact, we peaked, remember, in August of 2020 was the, the last peak above 2000. 
it was only then, after that high in gold, that the commodities turned up. Yeah. So in other words, mm-hmm. gold anticipated a commodity upturn. It didn't follow one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what's going on here. I think it knows that the central banks are in a, in a quagmire. That there's no way out this time. Mm-hmm. They can't really lower rates. And if they try to raise rates, there's already skeptical talk about that, even mm-hmm. among some Fed governors and ex-Fed governors about, well, we've got to be careful. And gold knows that what that means. It means that the central banks really aren't going to turn course. And if they did, it would collapse certain markets that they won't allow to collapse or will try to prevent from collapsing. Mm-hmm. So I think gold sort of knows that the game's over now. Uh, there's not much the central banks can do except be victims, victims mm-hmm. of, of the events and trends that have already been underway. Mm-hmm. Um, on silver, the, the breakout, I'm going to say this, and we said it before, when we got our quarterly momentum breakout, we think that in a very short period of time, probably weeks or maybe even days, silver should go back to the highs, meaning the mm-hmm. highs around 28 to 30. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the uh, weekly price chart of silver, you'll see the peak weekly closes. There are multiple uh, peaks for about a year, around 28 bucks. Mm-hmm. The intra-week highs around 30. So there's mm-hmm. a zone up there where there were repeated highs in silver, and <clears throat> we think we could get back to that zone very quickly. Now, mm-hmm. if anybody wants to check out there and take their profits, go ahead, but I think you'll be skewered. Mm-hmm. I think the silver breakout is saying, okay, we're, we're through with this year-and-a-half corrective process, and when, it, when we turn, we're not going to give you a lot of warning. Mm-hmm. We're going to go yeah. from you know, pretty low level, pretty high level rapidly, and so if you're, you're off board, you want to get back on board. Or you're going to have to chase it. Um, so we're look, so we're looking at around twenty five bucks now. You think uh, well, twenty eight, twenty five, fifty area today? Yeah, yeah. most mm-hmm. of today's action. And uh, you know, I, I think that getting up to the twenty eight to thirty zone is not a big deal. No. Um, and it will lead gold. Look, today's a good example. In an update, silver's up four and a half percent. Gold's up a percent and a half or so. Yeah, right. Nice. Right. Uh, another thing going on: the gold miners. Mm-hmm. Uh, gold and silver miners, they're uh, all of a sudden gone from anemic to super strong. Mm-hmm. And I actually saw an analyst on CNBC today, it shocked me, about fell out of my seat, uh, saying, oh, you should be long gold miners. <laughs> you know, they were asking, where should you be in these kind of markets? And he said they're undervalued all kinds of metrics, you know, on their own mm-hmm. metrics, they're undervalued, they're undervalued in relation to gold, they're a place mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. And I think he's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not a surprise. Uh, no, well, you said that, Michael. I mean, I can remember, you know, you like to look at these markets, how they sort of interact with one one and another. And, uh, you know, you've been saying this all along, that at some point, when the equity markets finally come unglued, people are going to look for places to make money, where to put their money. They're not going to just sit, you know, ideologically in, in stocks just because they hate gold. If they can make money in gold, they'll run to gold and gold shares and so forth. And it is true that the major mining companies have had stronger balance sheets they've behaved themselves better than they have during other cycles when they went out and paid way too much for uh, deposits that weren't really that valuable so i'm very bullish on the fundamentals of the mining uh you know the major miners as well as a mm-hmm. lot of the juniors i'm looking at but michael you know another thing well talk to us then a little bit about the equity markets is it is it well, over so now are we an important lesson we just saw uh, punch up a chart of GDX, let's say, or XAU index daily. Go back, uh, you know, to January, let's say, mm-hmm. into December. And you'll see they were at lows, and they've roared. 
okay? And the stock market's been whacked pretty good, especially the NASDAQ 100, which is the leader mm-hmm. index. Percent-wise, been whacked pretty good. Uh, and yet, they're totally inverse. Now, mm-hmm. you, you know, if you'd have told the normal uh, scared gold mining investors three, four months, months ago that uh, the stock market was going to dump and begin a process of bear trend, which I think it's done now. We're, mm-hmm. now. we're now long-term bearish on the stock market. We've broken enough stuff as of the February close. Uh, the, the miners will go down with them because they remember yeah. that vividly, that, that one six days or so in March of 2020 when finally the gold miners collapsed with the stock market. Mm-hmm. Now we have the, the total opposite. So the lesson they learned in that one instance that burned in everybody's memory was a mm-hmm. false lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the gold miners now, after having been depressed for you know a year and a half, I think they're going to come to life much like silver, and I think they'll outperform gold again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the better place to watch gold, it's the mama, but the better place to be is silver and the, and the miners themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, now, certainly, the question is where are we going? Gee, I don't, you know, yeah, off the page, I think, because the events that are going on in the other markets are so horrific and tremendous mm-hmm. on a technical and fundamental basis mm-hmm. that what we're seeing unfold in gold here is not just some normal bull market. Mm-hmm. What is, uh, how is Bitcoin performing today? I didn't check it today. It hadn't been doing very doing well. Well, we think we called the downturn in Bitcoin uh, a couple of months ago when it was above 50,000, when it broke under 50,000, we thought it might go to 32,000. Well, it stopped uh, less than 1,000, points, like 32,900 or something like that, uh-huh. and then rallied sharply into the high of two weeks ago, Bitcoin now. Uh-huh. Then it uh-huh. dropped back real hard last week, which we expected, uh, to test the lows, and it held. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now it's turned back up and is challenging some levels that if it could close... Not where it is now. It's got to be higher than it is now. But if you can close out the week at certain levels that we specify in our reports, then it looks like Bitcoin's made a base and is, mm-hmm. is going to resume upside. Mm-hmm. However, when we run long-term spread charts of Bitcoin versus gold, relative performance charts, in other words, which mm-hmm. one is better? Okay, We've heard ads on TV about how Bitcoin beats gold and all that. Well, that's no longer true. Mm-hmm. The trend of that relative performance trend had broken down. It broke down several months ago, and it argues going forward now, yes, Bitcoin could go up, but it is unlikely to match the performance of gold. Gold is now an outperformer to Bitcoin. Um, mm-hmm. And to some extent, they're, they're brother or sister because they're both, what are they? They're money. Yeah. Uh, one is a, a real-world money. has been around thousands of years, and the other is a, yes, it's an unbacked money unit, but mm-hmm. it can't be expanded indefinitely. Right. There's a very limit on the expansion of the quantity of Bitcoins or Ethereum. So mm-hmm. it can't be inflated at the will of a government. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, okay. it is a store of value. Uh, and so yeah. both of those markets have something in common, but we, we favor gold at this point. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it seems as though uh, Bitcoin may have gotten a boost here with what's going on in, in the Ukraine and in Russia. So... Um, you know, people can't get their money out of their country. They well, can't get their money out of the bank. Look, look, a lot of those events are occurring, but China banned Bitcoin, uh, cryptos. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Russia has. Uh, but uh, also look what Trudeau did a few weeks ago. Yeah, right. Did exactly. and then undid. But uh, they threatened to seize bank accounts of mm-hmm. the truckers. Mm-hmm. Well, what did that create? It created in the mind of many people, including non-truckers, that, hey, they're going to take my money out of my bank account. Yeah, Maybe right. I need something other than, than they right. can grab hold of. Maybe crypto right. is a good place to go. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of those type of events occurring that are causing investors to think twice about money. <laughs> Yeah, the very basic right to have your uh, to own property, you know, and and the socialist uh, governments, these people that are running uh, Western countries, increasingly are forgetting that uh, that's one of our human rights is to own the property that you know it's yeah. our property ownership. So even and the if, IRS if was talking about you know being able to access your bank account to see what kind of deposits you put in. Right, right, you know, right. Like, and then they can and then and, and yeah. then they can uh, you know alter your political choices, whatever choices they wish to. I mean, it's a very mm-hmm. bad. But uh, so Bitcoin offers that sort of freedom, or so it seems. I can't imagine government, though, not cracking down one way or another. Well, that's, that's My, for sure. The question is, though, can they? Because it's mm-hmm. it's become so pervasive now that I think it's sort of beyond their control. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like the well, monetary events and the, and the risk of, of downturn in the stock market is beyond their control at this point too. When the bubble breaks, it breaks, mm-hmm. and the central banks can posture all they want, but they're not in control of. Uh, of what they th- think they're in control of. Well, Michael, uh, you, uh, I, you know, like to always ask you about the the T bonds, um, but and they're behaving exactly mm-hmm. like you predicted. The equity money coming out of the equities. I didn't check the T bond markets today, but it oh, seems no, though. <laughs> last week we put out a report suggesting that the, the the depression that they've been in, the downside pressure they've been in, was base building actually for momentum, and we thought that this week might be the breakout. Uh, and it has been. It, a mere indication of, of investor preference for something other than the stock market. Mm-hmm. And that's one area they've gone to is long bonds, 10-year, 30-year, that kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. and sure enough, bonds exploded today. So the big question, uh, and so the, and so bonds are behaving along with gold today, and mm-hmm. have been the last few days. Silver, though, is the uh, is really breaking out because it's been so. Why why silver? Because it's been so suppressed. I think it's, it's been, been so depressed for so long, and and you know it's also low low priced in relation to gold, and and the, its relative levels to gold over the last fifty years. If you look at a spread chart going back uh, fifty years or so since gold was legalized, nineteen seventy five. Um, silver is still at it's 1.4 or something percent I think of the price of gold it, going to 3% would be common mm-hmm. well yeah. that's huge yeah. <laughs> 3% of $2,000 gold is, is a huge move and then 3% of let's say $8,000 gold is off the page and yeah. I frankly expect it I think yeah. silver is going to come to life and be in effect the new bitcoin as much of a gold bug as I am, I, in a way, sort of shudder when I hear you say that because it would suggest there's a lot of other things that are way out of line with what we've known and the markets that we have become familiar with. But let, let me just ask you, with just a, a couple of minutes left here yet, Michael, a couple of other markets. Uh, oil is, uh, I think it's over over 100 bucks today. Yeah, I got uh, 106. Uh-huh. 106. And, yeah. I mean, these things are very unpredictable because we don't know – you know, the supply chains, the, 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 this, you know, what are the supply, what's the p- supply situation going to look like? Uh, hopefully, sometime this war comes to an end before. I don't know that that'll affect the big picture. I'm sure you'll have selling once something happens in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the one market that somewhat surprises me, but I think I'm still going to be right, is natural gas. While mm-hmm. oil has exploded, natural gas has been a tight-fisted market mm. since mm-hmm. it, it surged last summer, well before mm-hmm. Russia ever put troops around Ukraine. Sep- August, September, October, it peaked at about 650. Mm-hmm. It then pulled back under three and congested mostly in the mid-fours. Mm-hmm. Right now it's about 450. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
it looks to me like you could see natural gas explode up out of this fist of ink it's been in for the last several months, a corrective process, and possibly double in price. We had projected all along it might go to nine bucks. Mm-hmm. Well, see, look at it, price of oil over the last uh, couple of months had gone vertical and, and not natural gas. Yet yeah, natural gas is the effectively the nuclear weapon that Putin has. Yeah, a reverse sanction, so to speak. You know, put sanctions mm-hmm. on him, he can he can simply flip the switch and shut off uh, the EU's natural gas from Russia, mm-hmm. which yeah. constitute about forty percent of what they need. Um, and I'm sure that could shock the natural gas market, mm-hmm. which would Maybe what? W- would uh, definitely cause uh, recessionary tendencies in Europe, which is already not too doing too well, and not do things, uh, not help growth here either. Mm-hmm. In which case, what would that do to the Fed? Yeah, well, they'd have to you know, start pumping. Are they going to tighten in the face of that? No, well, gold knows so. all this. Yeah. But anyway, gold watch natural it. gas. I think it could be the the late surprise of this entire process mm-hmm. we've seen about Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, maybe one of the reasons they're not uh, they're not putting constraints on uh, on uh, on money flowing for natural gas. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, I'll also like to ask you um, real quickly. I see I have a minute and a half or so here. Uh, fertilizers and grains looking very strong, I suppose. Oh, off the, you look at a wheat chart, and it, it's, it makes oil look tepid almost. <laughs> Soybeans as well; they're going vertical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thunderbolts. Uh, yeah. They had a nice short. They had a good move uh, between fall of 2020 and about mid 2021, and had a good corrective pullback, which uh, we thought was a corrective pullback. And then a couple months ago, we had enough indications that it was going to resume. And of course, this Russian thing has helped that because Russia is not only an exporter of energy but also fertilizer. Mm-hmm. And planting season's coming up, and if you haven't got enough fertilizer, you're not going to have the same crop yields. My goodness, uh, I've, seen, yeah. I've seen a lot of fundamental speculation about what it might do, uh, you know, a third reduction in crop sizes and so forth. But I don't know about that, but it's certainly a factor. Yeah. Uh, and natural right. gas is used in the production of fertilizer. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what a vicious circle. cycle. Yeah, it's quite a circle. And uh, anyway, very, very interesting markets. I guess these are the kind of markets that people make a lot of money in or lose a lot of money, but it's, uh, it's yeah. certainly mm-hmm. – uh, you know, it's certainly time to wake up and, and be aware of what's going on. So we thank you so much for helping us do that, Michael. And uh, you, always a pleasure having you. We'll look to do it again in a couple of weeks from now. Bye-bye. All right, folks, uh, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. David Stockman will be with us to tell us why he says that he and his readers are not useful idiots. David will be with us right after the break, so don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka Project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have David Stockman with me once again. And David, I'm sure most of you know him, but maybe some of you younger folks uh, are not as familiar with David as some of us older guys have been around uh, for a, a few more decades, around, trips around the sun. David was a U.S. congressman from Michigan in the 1980s, and he was selected by President Reagan to be his director of office and management in the budget, the director of the office and management of budget, because he was uh, considered considered to be a real sharpshooter when it comes to understanding the complexities of the uh, of, of the budget. At that time, I can't imagine uh, that it's not a whole lot more complex now, and I don't think there's anybody that's half as smart as David in charge now. But in any event, that was David became known on the national scene in those days uh, because of his outspokenness and uh, his, uh, his willingness to speak his mind to the President of the United States. Can you imagine that? He wasn't going to be canceled. He wasn't... Canceled. He might might have been kicked out of office, uh, might have been let go by the president. I don't know the details any, anymore, but uh, he wasn't canceled, that's for sure, and he's remained outspoken ever since. Thank God for that. Uh, David, so thank you so much for coming on with us again today. Yeah, yeah, happy to be with you, Jay. And now that you're talking about ancient history, I think it's first worth recalling that in January 1981, when Reagan, you know, faced uh, down the monster that he had inherited from Jimmy Carter. Inflation was double digits. The budget was out of control. The economy was falling apart. We were scared to death that the national debt might cross the $1 trillion mark (laughs) on Ronald Reagan's watch. And today it's $30 trillion. We're in a totally different universe. So what was considered a crisis then might be considered a huge success today. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to sound like the guy who says everything's going to a hell in a handbasket, but I, I surely think it is. And especially with respect to this, you know, cancel culture and this rampant uh, censorship that has come out of Silicon Valley, especially in the last few years uh, during the COVID era. And, you know, people being deplatformed because they were saying things that weren't consistent uh, with the mainstream uh, uh, narrative. That was all bad enough. But where we are today is far worse because not only are you being uh, attacked for all those things, but you're also being accused of being an agent or, as I said in an article the other day, a useful idiot. Uh, for Vlad Putin if you don't agree with what they're saying on CNN and NBC. That's where we are today. And I've never seen anything like this, and I did spend a good part of my career in Washington. But the place is now rabid with war fever. I don't think there's anything in history this uh, uh, extreme going all the way back to the eve of the Battle of Bull Run when all the dandies got in their carriages and rode out to the Virginia countryside <laughs> wanting to get a look at, at how 
fast the rebellion was going to be put down. I mean, th- this is really bad. We don't need to be in this circumstance today, not simply the disaster that's happening to the Ukraine, mm-hmm. but the fact that in response, these brilliant people in Washington have said, yeah, we know how to fix this. Uh, we'll attack the entire global economy and financial system with sanctions and exclusions and, you know, uh, shutting down access to the SWIFT system and all the rest of it, and that'll teach the Russians a lesson. That is crazy as hell. That is going to wreck the trading system of the world, which is actually designed for a peaceful world order. Mm -hmm. It is not designed for a time of warfare, and we're seeing examples of it every day. For instance, we've had this tremendous semiconductor shortage, which we all know is the cause of many of these bottlenecks that we've been having in every kind of industry, including auto. And we find out today that a key ingredient uh, that goes into uh, semiconductor uh, production is actually made. Neon gas is made almost exclusively in the Ukraine, including, in in fact, the factories located in the Donbass in the eastern side, and it shut down. Now, that's one thing. Another, I saw yesterday, there was some desperate guy on Bubble Vision who was, uh, you know, in the international transportation business telling people, that most of the goods which go to Europe from China, and we're talking here hundreds of billions of consumer goods a year, transit through Russia by rail. And all of a sudden, the owners of those goods are not wanting to get caught with their Russian pants down by uh, the sanctions. And so they're desperately attempting to reroute their shipments either by sea or by air And as a result, almost overnight, um, prices uh, for ocean uh, freight have increased three to five percent, not five percent, three to five times Times, on top of the huge eruption that occurred during the COVID era. So to make it simple, it's going to cost about 40,000 to move goods in uh, one container from China to Europe compared to 2000 pre-COVID 2019 before all of these different disasters descended on the system. So somehow if they think they're actually punishing the Russians, you know, they're out of their minds. This is going to, the second, third, and fourth order impacts of all these sanctions and disruptions of the very intricate patterns of global trade and finance, they don't have the slightest clue of what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, and the day after. Uh, And it's going to end up punishing the American people every bit as much uh, as it will Russia. And then the final point, of course, is that none of this is necessary. Uh, Putin has been saying for 20 years, but especially since 2008, you know, I have a red line, and the red line is putting NATO on my doorstep, particularly uh, uh, Ukraine. He said, don't do it. You know, the buck stops there. It can happen. We ignored him. He finally put out what I thought was a pretty sensible uh, proposal for, uh, you know, uh, security guarantees in mid-December. It said three simple things. One, uh, neutrality and no NATO membership for Ukraine. Nothing wrong with that. We don't need, new, we don't need NATO, period, but we certainly don't need uh, a 30-member uh, NATO with another, uh, another uh, country added that's on the very doorstep of Russia. 
Second, he said, the forward anti-missile bases near the Russian border have got to be moved back to NATO territory proper, that is West Germany or France or something. And third, all these American and German and French troops that are on his doorstep in Poland, Romania, and elsewhere need to go back to their uh, home bases. Now, none of that would detract in one iota from the safety and security of the American homeland. None of that. That easily could have been agreed to. It could have been dickered over. But what did these arrogant uh, people who surround, uh, you know, who surround uh, Sleepy Joe Biden do? They dismissed it out of hand. They mm-hmm. gave lectures on, you know, the rule of law as if we've not, of course, we've invaded 74 countries <laughs> in the last 70 years as if we're kind of a paragon of the rule of law. But in any event, and, and little lectures about how NATO has an open door policy. Well, yeah. you know, in 1972 or 1962, October, I think Khrushchev implied that uh, he had an open door policy and put some missiles in Cuba. <laughs> well, that wasn't yeah. going to stand, right? Uh, yeah. You know, uh, that was 90 miles from our shore. President Kennedy, uh, you know, uh, bravely faced him down. And the rest is history. Well, this is no different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what, you yeah, know, what's side. the point? So uh, we don't, this war never would have happened. This conflict that's going on was utterly unnecessary. And now the en- enormous damage that's going to occur to the American economy and the global economy as a result of these massive, un- you know, unthinking attacks on the global trading and finance system um, uh, are uh, really, going, we're going to reap the whirlwind uh, that we're sowing at the moment. Yeah, well, you know what they'll say, David. Um, yeah, I can almost turn on any, including Fox, I can turn on any major network. Yeah. And what they'll counter, what you just said, with, yes, but Putin wants to take back the Soviet empire. He wants to have all those countries back in his fold again. And he, wait, if, and if we give in to the Ukraine, he's going to go to Poland, and he's going to go to all the other ones, and he's going to just take them right back into uh, the Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I know that. That's the propaganda. I see, I see it. I see it myself on Fox. Other than, uh, frankly, Tucker Carlson, who's got his yeah. head screwed on, right? But he's like the odd man out at Fox. The rest of them are blithering idiots. They're just as bad as MSNBC or CNN. But the fact is, there's no evidence for that whatsoever. Secondly. Uh, I think Putin has proved himself to be no saint of men, for sure, over yeah. the last 25 years. But he is about as smart and as prudent and as cautious as they come. And there is no Russian leader who wants to retake Poland, you know, in his right mind. The Poles hate the Russians. The Russians hate the Poles. There's not a chance in the you know, uh, chance in the world that they would want to retake Poland, or for that matter, Lithuania, uh, or uh, any of the rest of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that's just made up. It's it's uh, off the seat of the pants. There's no re- evidence for that. On the other hand, have these people done any historic research? And I had some of it in my article. Yes, you did. Yes, you kindly uh, um, uh, cited. But uh-huh. the fact is, Ukraine has never been a real country in, since, until 1922 when Lenin and then Stalin and Khrushchev made it a country by detaching parts of Russia, putting it into an administrative uh, appendage uh, that they called the Ukraine. 
uh, as a, a matter of how you govern the great Soviet empire. It had nothing to do uh, with historic uh, boundaries or a real nation state or a state that survived, had survived. In fact, Look at the map of 1900, there's no country called Ukraine on it, or for that matter, 1800 or 1700 or 1600, or as far back as you want to go. So what we're basically doing is defending the sacred borders that were created over time by Russian czars and then communist dictators. I mean, if these people thought about the irony of, yeah. you know, what, what, what they're involved in. Furthermore, if you look at a map of the Ukraine today, in fact, the battle that's going on right now, the eastern part, the Donbass uh, uh, going down to Crimea, has never been a country called Ukraine. For the last three and a half centuries, it's been part of Russia, for mm -hmm. crying out loud. All that territory was Russian. And it was, you know, either taken by war by earlier czars or it was purchased from the Turks who needed cash by Catherine the Great and others. So the idea that somehow we're defending, you know, the sacred borders of a country uh, that, you know, makes any difference to anybody is uh, just nonsense. And the truth is this could have been solved just like Yugoslavia was solved, it could have been broken up into a lot of pieces and let the western part go uh, and become Ukraine, let the eastern part be New Russia or whatever they want to call it, the Donbass or the republics, and this uh, problem could have been solved long ago. Partition is always the answer when people can't get along. You know, this, this is just rank nonsense. It's an insult to uh, intelligent life. And uh, it's all because of what I would call wag the dog 2.0. In other words, there's a new poll out today. <laughs> uh, Biden's uh, approval rating is now 37 percent. Mm -hmm. It's plunged by more than any president in modern time and only is surpassed by Nixon's crash in 1973, you know, when the Watergate was unfolding. Right. So they, ne they needed a distraction. And the problem is, if you remember the Wag the Dog uh, uh, movie, at least that was a movie. That was a make pretend. You know, th this is real, uh, you know, hot war. Uh, this is real live fire action that is totally unnecessary. But I believe provoked by a careless White House that is desperately in need of changing, uh, you know, the venue, changing uh, the topic, because they're in such desperate shape with the American public. Well, I wonder, though, David, if there might not be, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this before, Eisenhower's warnings about the military-industrial complex. And I'm just wondering, uh, it, in 2014, you, you just alluded to it a moment ago, uh, how we became involved in unseating the elected uh, leader of of the Ukraine, I believe, in 2014, right? That's correct. I mean, that, was, that was that was and and uh, in in this article, you uh, you know you you mention uh, a a young scholar named Lindsay O'Rourke, yeah. uh, an associate professor at Boston College, uh, who has written a book, I think, "Covert Regime Change: America's Secret Cold War." And you had mentioned there was, I think you said earlier, there's something like 70-some instances where the United States tried to involve itself in overturning governments or sometimes co uh, overtly going in and taking over governments and so forth. So it's been something we've been doing forever. 
of course, uh, Vladimir Putin better not put a couple of ads on Facebook to try yeah. to ha- influence our elections. But we can yeah. go in with NGOs and, and billions of dollars and rally people against the leaders if, if somebody. So we're, I mean, this thing, this thing is so big. And the military-industrial complex, I mean, it was yesterday I was watching Bloomberg, and they were talking about how several of these big, uh, you know, these big corporations that sell weapons were going to be profiting from Germany spending billions of dollars and sending it to the Ukraine and so forth. So don't you think that this thing is maybe even bigger than Biden? It may be, uh, maybe, maybe the Biden administration saw some advantages politically, a thought that he could come out with this in good shape somehow. I don't know how. How they yeah, figure that. okay, yes. I mean, you have to look at it in terms of the continuity of the historical uh, stream here. Uh, mm-hmm. But the fact is, it all goes back to 1991 when the Soviet Union disappeared into the dustbin of history. Yeah. That was when NATO should have been disbanded. Its whole mission was to contain the Soviet Union, uh, a colossus that occupied the better part of the landmass of the world, and 465 million people. That was gone. There was no enemy left. But rather than uh, declaring victory um, and dismantling NATO, the military-industrial complex convinced Clinton and then the Republicans, they were worse, Republican Senate, that the nifty thing to do would be to invite all the former Warsaw Pact nations and the fragments that pieced off from Russia, uh, Soviet Union proper uh, into NATO. And so there were 16 NATO countries then, it should have gone to zero, but instead the 16 became 30, including you know such uh, little midgets as North Macedonia, the last yeah. uh, country to join that has a police force half the size, or has a military half the size of the police force of Philadelphia. This <laughs> is crazy, but it was all premised on the fact there was still an enemy in the world. No one ever said what it was, but it was obvious that it had to be Russia because everybody else was in the other tent. I mean, yeah, yeah, this is yeah. nuts. So yeah. the, the extension of NATO, first uh, in 1999 when the original three uh, – Romania, Poland, and Czech Republic joined, and then all the rest of them years later. Uh, This is what's led to the present moment. Uh, We have simply backed Russia into a corner for no reason other than to give the military-industrial complex uh, a target uh, of, uh, you know, opposition and a justification, and this is really important here, for the massive military budgets that we have today, which are totally unnecessary. Here's a fact that's startling. When Eisenhower gave this famous warning that you mentioned, 1961, military-industrial complex seeking unwanted, uh, untoward powers, the defense budget of the United States in today's dollars uh, was $400 billion. Today, <laughs> our defense budget is $750 billion, and the Soviet Union doesn't even exist. In other words, uh, we should have cut the defense budget by half from 400 to 200, but instead it's nearly doubled because they've added all these NATO countries that then had to weaponize themselves. And now they've created this phony war with, uh, you know, in uh, Ukraine, which has now got the rest of NATO uh, attempting to increase their defense budgets, buy more weapons. This is just one big um, 
weapons buying marketing operation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that unfortunately has most of the world uh, held hostage because after all, you know, Russia is a nuclear armed country that has as many warheads as we do. Yeah, well, David, you know, all that, if we had cut our budget, our military budget by that amount and not spent it somewhere else, we would be in a lot better shape today, I suppose, because if you add that up year after year after year, it's big money, $30 trillion now in total uh, total debt. But, uh, you know, I went back and looked at 1980, about the time you became uh, involved in the Reagan administration and thereabouts, uh, the total, the GDP, the debt to GDP, uh, U.S. government debt to GDP was about 32%. Right. That's the numbers exactly. I'm seeing. And now it's 230%, 230%. Right, right. 130%. It's 130%. Yeah. And countries start to run into trouble. When they yeah. get 60% or 90%, they start going downhill really rapidly. So this is uh, – how do we get out of this with just a couple of minutes left? How is this going to pan out, and what would be your advice to, say, common yeah. folks? Uh, you know, not, not really rich people that can run away to some, some hillside in Switzerland, but people that might be worth a half a million bucks or a couple of million yeah. bucks. Or well, uh, you know, the first thing is the heart of the, of the matter is the Federal Reserve. You never would have 30 trillion of debt if the Fed hadn't monetized it all because interest rates would have soared long ago right. and the Washington politi- politicians would have, uh, uh, you know, uh, responded whether they wanted to or not. That's what I learned in the 70s when I was a mm-hmm. congressman. That's what I learned in the early 80s when we were fighting the budget battle. Yeah. Back then, the Fed was not yet in the monetization business. People understood that if the government big uh, elbows crowded everybody out of the bond market. Uh, Somebody couldn't get financed. Rates Uh would rise. Everybody would suffer. And so there was a reasonable level of fiscal prudence. But once the Fed went into the massive monetization business, and remember the federal uh, balance sheet was 200 billion when Greenspan took over, and now it's nine trillion. So I would call that monetization uh, <laughs> with a vengeance. Okay, uh, it it took away the whole restraint that uh, kept the fiscal order reasonably functioning and balanced in the United States. The second thing is that it permitted the entire private sector to go nuts borrowing money as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. If you go back to your same numbers in 1980. Mm-hmm total debt of, of the world, uh, of the United States, public and private, was $5 trillion. GDP was $3 trillion. The ratio was 150%. It had been that for, you know, 100 years. Mm-hmm. Today, total debt, public and private, is $86 trillion. Mm-hmm. Right. The ratio is 285 percent of GDP. We're in uncharted waters. Uh, business is uh, saturated with debt. Households are saturated with debt. 17 trillion each. You've mentioned how much the governments have. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this is a system that doesn't work. So what should yeah. people do? Don't yeah. leave a thing that you're told on bubble vision. Uh, stay out of the stock and bond markets because you know, there are disasters waiting to happen. And remember, the only thing that's going to create its value or keep its value in the years ahead is real money, which is gold and silver. Right. Well, I think we'll leave it go at that, David. We're out of time. Thank you so much for for coming on with us. Uh, always a pleasure to have you, to have your insights shared with others. And uh, uh, because they are independent thoughts and uh, from a 
you know, from yourself, a, a man who's been involved in on Wall Street as well as Washington. And um, we thank you yeah. so much for spending time I might, with us. I might say, Jay, that I write about this every day on David Stockman's Ab- Corner. Absolutely. So, uh, so yeah. people can, and it's a very reasonably priced uh, service, too, I might add. Uh, the one that I subscribe to anyway is, uh, yeah, your Contra Corner, David yeah, Stockman. Yeah. Every day, lots and lots of charts and uh, very valuable information. So thank you so much, David, for being with us. And I'd really like to have you back on again sometime soon okay sounds all right. good all right folks Here well that go. is it for this week next week alistair mcleod will be with me and um he's going to talk about how ukraine fits into the global jigsaw uh, puzzle and eric coffin will join me as well to talk about the junior mining sector um, until then goodbye god's blessings to you Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Firefox Gold is exploring in Finland in the midst of an exciting new gold rush. Firefox successfully drilled high-grade and visible gold in 2021 and is now active at four prospective projects with plans to drill continuously through the first half of 2022. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, are driving the company to discovery, and the stage is set for Firefox to identify multiple new gold deposits. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX and on the OTCQB at FFOXF. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates.